0: Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Steven Robles, and this episode is brought to you by ExpressVPN, my personal favorite VPN app. I'll tell you about that in a moment. This episode, we're going to talk about Apple's redesign of the store. The new Magic Keyboard with Touch ID is available. We share our thoughts about the iPad and macOS betas. And we actually talk about the Pixel 6 and end the show with a little iPhone versus Android roundup. Joining me this week, my friend across the pond, William Gallagher. How's it going, William? I tell you
1: it's going exhaustingly. I'm telling you, I'm exercising like mad. My Apple Watch says apparently I'm not. That's how it's going over here. How is it with you?
0: It's going well. It's just adrenaline is pumping. And, you know, I just wanted to say, too, for our listeners, Neil Hughes, good friend of the show. He was on some episodes these past few months. We really enjoyed having him. He started a new job. And so you might not hear him on the show for a while, but rest assured, hopefully he will make an appearance in the future. But uh, Neil, we love you and we will uh, see you back soon. Congratulations on the job.
1: Oh, come on. It's more fun to say we ran him out of town or something. Or yeah. He's on the lam <laughs>
0: somewhere. <laughs> on, is this a British thing, right? On the lamb or the lo- how What is that?
1: No, I only know it from Veronica Mars and, and other fine American oh. programs. I don't think it's a UK expression and I believe it's spelled L-A-M. Okay. So I don't know if it stands for something. Uh, but I was trying to sound hip and cool there, and you've revealed me in my essential.
0: No, no, William. Everyone knows you are the hip and cool one for sure. It's not me, <laughs> it, is, it is definitely you. So, okay. Well, we actually had some news this week. Some stuff happened. First of all, the store went down. I think it was Tuesday night this past week. And everyone got all excited. I was excited. I said, "All right, Apple. I'm I'm take my money. I'm ready. Whatever you're going to have going for me." But no new products were released ish. We'll talk about products that are available now, but the store was actually totally redesigned and they relaunched the store tab on apple.com's website to resemble more of the Apple Store app. That you get, not the App Store app, that's a different app, we'll talk about that in a little bit too, but the Apple Store app where you can buy their stuff like iPhones, iPads, HomePods. And now if you go to apple.com and there's actually a store tab standalone, which had not been the case until they just made this change. I think the last time there was a dedicated store tab was like 2015, 16, something like that. And so now it's a totally redesigned. What do you think, William? It looks pretty good, right?
1: It looks great. I, I think it looks a bit busy. There's a lot going on. And for some reason, it looks busier lot going on. Uh, on the Mac than it does on, say, my iPhone app. Right. But I wish I were clever enough. Say, uh, the number of times I've been to the store to find something and actually found it a chore to think, right, I've got to go through the Mac bit to get to the accessories bit. Right. It never once occurred to me that they could make this simpler until they did. So uh, I'm, I'm <laughs> glad and I feel a bit thick for not having thought of it myself.
0: <laughs> (laughs) Well, you know what's interesting, so if you go to apple.com, click store, or it's just apple.com slash store now, it does resemble the app on iPhone and iPad. But there's this weird thing where the whole, if you have a widescreen, the whole left sidebar is blank until you scroll down to some of these cards, like the latest, or you scroll down to accessories. Then you can click the right arrow and you start scrolling through these little vertical playing card looking things. Then it kind of fills up the whole screen. I don't know what it looks like on your whatever 80 inch wide computer monitor, William, but you get that like blanks thing on the left side.
1: I remember thinking there was a lot of white space and I rather liked that, but I am looking now live as we... So, oh, yes. Oh, okay. And Safari just crashed on me. Uh, so this is... Did I mention I'm accidentally on the uh, Monterey beta? I really didn't intend to be.
0: If you've been running it for multiple weeks, I don't know if you can claim it to be an accident anymore. <laughs> I mean you could have downgraded back, but oh, that is you, a now
1: now he says that. You explicit I asked your advice and you said yeah. keep up with the latest betas because you know they'll improve yeah, things. Yeah. And I believe well, you
0: Listen, it was really the ulterior motive was because I wanted you to talk about Monterey on this very uh, episode, which I'll get your thoughts I've in a minute. been used. Uh, literally, yes. I'm sorry. But yeah, it's a, it's a cool design. It does feel a little bit like this is clearly made for iPhone and iPad, and it's it's different on the, on the Mac, but it's good. It's good. You can find stuff easier. They have like the major categories up at the top, like Mac, iPhone, iPad, and accessories are standalone. So it's nice. Apple.com slash store. Check it out. You can buy some stuff like the new Touch ID Magic Keyboard, which is finally available. We were wondering when Apple would make this standalone purchasable, if that's a word. But with the new 24-inch M1 iMac, you can get a Magic Keyboard with Touch ID built into the wireless keyboard. And now you can buy it standalone. You can get the Magic Keyboard with Touch ID for $149 from the Apple Store right now. And they also said they have a quote-unquote new Magic Mouse and Magic Trackpad. The Magic Trackpad is $129, Magic Mouse is $79. And you can also get a Magic Keyboard with numeric pad and Touch ID. So the really long one, if you want that specific number pad, that's $179. The unfortunate part is you can only get one color for the Magic Keyboard with Touch ID. It comes in the silver slash white, whatever you want to call it, but you cannot buy the fun colors that come with the color matched 24 inch iMac. You can't get the blue, the purple, or the green or whatever. You can just get the white slash silver version with Touch ID. now. This does work with every M1 Mac. So if you want to get it for an M1 Mac mini or even an M1 MacBook Pro that you dock, like I do the vertical dock, you could get one of these and use the Touch ID button on this Magic Keyboard. But I don't know. I kind of wanted a fun color. Does this tempt you at all, William? Are you, are you holding out for the blue one? I have been
1: waiting for this keyboard since uh, <laughs> since Touch ID first appeared on a keyboard on the MacBook Pro. I wanted it separately for the Mac. And now that it's actually here... Maybe not,
0: mm. but
1: because it's only a few months, actually, since I had to replace my Apple Magic keyboard because I finally wore it out, so I'm still feeling the pain of how much that cost, and I've just bought the most expensive keyboard I've ever bought, the Apple Magic keyboard for iPad Pro. Yes. I've had to buy the iPad Pro as well, so, you know, very expensive keyboard. Yes. Uh, yes. I like it, but I've honestly been wondering how much would I use Touch ID, considering how much I use it on iOS. I don't know. I don't often use Apple Pay through Safari and uh, on the Mac. And when I do, it just asks me to tap on my watch to confirm it. So it just somehow doesn't feel like the compulsive purchase that it did. Though I'm very sorry about the colors. I would have had a nice time picking the right color.
0: I was tempted at first because I do think things like 1Password, I could use Touch ID, which, you know, the Apple Watch does tap you, but sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you have to enter the password in for 1Password or... You have to enter your computer password to autofill some Safari login that's saved. So if the Touch ID worked more often than the Apple Watch confirmation, maybe I would be tempted, but I figured let me see what other people's experience are before I buy it. But it's nice you can get it, you know, if you have an M1 Mac Mini and you really have, and maybe you don't have an Apple Watch, this would be a great way to have a biometric authentication in the $149 keyboard magic keyboard touch id but i do really want colors if it would have come in the colors right now i'd have maybe jumped on it but right now i will i'll let it pass
1: you might even be just changing my mind slightly back towards it the, the one password coming <laughs> things but no hang on i forgot i no longer trust you at all uh completely oh sorry of so yeah, sorry. you know forget that yes.
0: okay forget that now i will say what is kind of hilarious about these new products. You got the Magic Keyboard with Touch ID, the new trackpad, which is pretty much like the old one. And they also say new Magic Mouse. Like it literally says new on the Apple website store. And I really cannot tell for the life of me what is new (laughs) about this mouse. The lightning port is still underneath you'd have to flip it over like a turtle or something to plug it in and you can't use the mouse when you plug it in it comes with a braided lightning to usb cable that's new Mm. but i think the mouse itself is literally exactly the same at least from what i can tell so
1: actually can i just take a moment to defend the lightning port on the bottom oh because i get controversial controversial okay it's not convenient but it's not like you lose a day to it it comes up with a warning say oh battery's getting a bit low so you plug it in the bottom you go scratch your nose have a cup of tea come back and it's charged up enough for the rest of the day and then you leave it overnight so yeah the trackpad's great that you can carry on working regardless but i just i don't find it the big problem i think apple has done a lot worse with mice in the past than this one so
0: fair So, and I will say last word, the Magic Trackpad, which is also new, and I'll put this as the chapter art so our listeners can see it. I'm holding up my current Magic Trackpad next to the image on the website, and it seems the corners are rounded more. Ooh. That's the difference. You get more rounded corners, which one might argue you get less trackpad surface area because they've cut a little bit off, but I mean, it's pretty big anyway. I don't think you need that much. So anyway, the rounded corners, that's what's new about the trackpad. And we'll put links, of course, to all that in the show notes. Now, another product that went for sale on the Apple Store, and this is more of an add-on configuration, is the Intel Mac Pro has more graphic card customization options when you buy it from Apple, starting with the Radeon Pro W6800X with 32 gigabytes of RAM. That's a $2,400 upgrade. And then multiple cards later, all the way up to two Radeon Pro W6800 with 64 gigabytes of RAM, each costing $9,600. So you have more graphic cards options with the Mac Pro if you buy one from Apple. But one might ask, do you want to buy an Intel Mac Pro right now when we don't know what's coming soon? We might have an Apple Silicon Mac Pro coming in the next calendar year, maybe the next WWDC. So I find this interesting. I think obviously there's an audience, of course, who still want the Intel Mac Pro, still want the most powerful computer that you can buy from Apple with the biggest, baddest graphics card. So I think it's good. I think it's positive that Apple is still increasing the configurations, increasing the options on their Mac Pro that the promise was modularity and upgradability. So I think it's good. That they're offering it but i don't know i'd be curious to the audience for this kind of machine and with these upgrades
1: i realized actually we said that i was unthinkingly assuming these are new graphics cards that were going to any mac pro but that isn't it it's you would have to buy a new mac pro
0: well i think you can get these graphic cards and just insert them yourself again that's kind of the promise of the modular mac pro it's just these are now options oh i
1: see built to order right built to order in that option. case uh, i can see it because if you are somebody who spent all that money on a Mac Pro, I think you want to protect your investment as long as you can. And the idea of replacing your 50000 Mac Pro with a $1,000 Mac Mini, uh, which could be better. Mm. um, You know, (laughs) it's a sunk cost by this point. Yes, I'll put another $10,000 into a memory card. That's what I want.
0: And again, I think just any kind of love that the Mac Pro gets is a positive signal to Mac users as a whole to say that Apple is still paying attention to this product. That even though... You know, it's kind of on the still the first revision of this new Mac Pro cheese grater that Apple is putting some effort and time and all that into the Mac Pro, let alone what might come later. We might get an updated Intel Mac Pro or we might just get the smaller Apple Silicon version that's been rumored. So we'll have to see. I think it's good overall. that Apple is paying attention to the Mac Pro and and still doing stuff to it. Good. So I'll just mention this briefly, you know, one of the things that Apple announced with iOS 15 was the possibility of using ID cards, driver's license, and even like TSA type identification cards in the Apple Wallet app on your iPhone. And Apple announced that there are several schools where students can use their iPhone and Apple Wallet and have their ID right there in the app. Things like you know, the Auburn University, Northern Arizona University, University of Maine, New Mexico State and others. And I think it's cool. You know, I'm curious what this rollout is going to look like over the next few years if states here in the U.S. are going to adopt the ability to have your driver's license in the Apple Wallet app. Will a police officer, if you get pulled over for speeding, as maybe I was or wasn't doing heading to this podcast, will I be able to show them my driver's license on my phone? And are there, you know, security things in place where I give them my phone or do they just like scan it? I don't know. Uh, William, do you think this is going to take off or eventually take hold In the UK, where you'll be able to use the wallet and use IDs in the app?
1: Inevitably, eventually, I think, yes. And actually, that point about the security of showing things uh apple has many patents uh, about it that look like they're pointing towards this so i know it's coming at some point for all that i use say apple pay for example i hardly ever use apple wallet i find finding things in it a little bit of a chore uh, and right now i have my covid um, vaccination details in the wallet solely right. because i was writing a news story about the fact that you could do that and yes you can there's an nhs thing i am twice vaccinated and all that uh, and my wallet can show that if i need to but the wallet app will only show it for i can't remember if it's 30 or 90 days after that mm. i have to go back to the nhs app and reissue that thing there's no change in the data it is purely the wallet needs an updated version of the same data so since i've got that you. means i've got to keep the nhs app around why don't i just show them the nhs app instead of the wallet um I don't find it a very smooth system. Hmm. I honestly forget that the wallet exists sometimes. So that (laughs) really could be me. Yeah,
0: I mean, I'll be honest. I use the Starbucks card in the Apple Wallet app Ah. often enough to know it's there. And what else do I use in the Wallet app? Let me see. There are things. I mean, I got the Apple card in there, which again, sorry, I know sore subject. Just kidding. Please ignore. Yeah, (laughs) apologize. I guess it's mainly the Starbucks card. When we were going to movies more often, I would do movie tickets in there, like Fandango mm. movie tickets and such, but but that's not a thing. No, that's at the what moment. I did too. I was gonna say if I had Apple
1: Card, that would change it. But I have a couple of cards on my watch and it's always handier to uh, just wave the watch at something instead of get out the phone and do it. So uh no I wouldn't even do it with Apple card. So keep your Apple card. See if I care
0: <laughs> <laughs> You know I have just as a follow-up, you know we had someone say They do it for the 2% with Apple Pay stuff. And I have been using my Apple Card now for my grocery shopping because I have three kids, so groceries can get expensive. And so I've been doing the Apple Pay with my Apple Card for my groceries. And that 2% cash back, it's actually kind of nice. There's been a couple of times I've gotten like $20 Apple Cash, and I'll just use that to pay the amount, but free money, I guess you could say.
1: I mean, I understand you can get better deals with other cards, but not daily. The convenience of it, the automatic nature of it. Uh, When Apple Card comes to the UK, I will go for it. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And speaking of the wallet and Apple Card, one of the things that came out this past week is in some of the betas and in some people's wallet apps, I think Mark Gurman was... Tweeted at first, there's now promotions being surfaced in the wallet app where Apple is saying, here's a promotion with Apple Card. You can, you know, for this month, there's some kind of like Panera unlimited coffee offer or get four months of Apple News Plus if you use your Apple Card. You know, these kind of offers are interesting, maybe beneficial for those who have the Apple Card, but it does kind of speak to the antitrust issues that we've been talking about over the last several months. This is a case where Apple, because it's an Apple credit card and it's Apple's wallet app on Apple's iOS, on Apple's iPhone, they can just kind of put these special offers right there in the wallet app And I don't think there's a way to really opt out of these promotions like in the settings to say, don't show me any promotions, I don't wanna see it. You can X out of the little window and like the window right here says, enjoy exclusive offers this month. There's a little X and you can click that to close it out. But I think you can opt out of these offers. So I find that to be, you know, a little bit on the line of is Apple taking advantage? And this is, I don't know about you, but I get notifications for Apple Arcade, for Apple Music, for apple tv a lot of times and apple tv i have notifications cause I like knowing when new episodes are available but sometimes they're like hey there's a new game on apple arcade and it's like mm, i don't know if i asked for this notification but there it is
1: yeah i don't get as many as you it sounds like but i get the odd one and i, I have no interest in arcade i do have a solution to the wallet one i, I just never go in the wallet one so there you go that's saved <laughs> easy you know it's kind of phew. It's not forgetfulness, then, my lack of use of the wallet. It's it's a a stance against the machine. That's why I Mm. do it, really.
0: (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Well, and also to kind of tag on that antitrust deal, there was an Apple promotion in Australia in the App Store where people were tweeting images of an app being promoted in the App Store Australia for this slime relaxation app. And it turns out this app is directly a scam. Like this is basically a scam app with a $10 weekly subscription inside the app. And people were like, not only does Apple allow this app in the App Store, but there's literally images of the app being promoted on that first page of the App Store saying like, hey, check out Slime Relaxation. And that seems real scammy. Like I really thought those kinds of features were like human curated, like there were actual humans looking at these apps before they get featured like that. But this screenshot of the App Store preview of a scam app, I mean, it's big right there. It says life hack, slime, relaxations. So this is, again, just an unfortunate piece of information that goes to the antitrust argument that people bring against Apple.
1: I actually wonder if it really is human curation and just somebody made a mistake. You can see somebody in a rush. They see an app that appears to be popular. There's a whole genre of apps that do this. Maybe that was their thinking, and they didn't actually go into every single app to test it. I mean, you would hope not, but I—you uh, could see—I uh, could see me making that mistake. So I feel kind of some sympathy.
0: All right. Before we get to some thoughts about the betas, and I actually want to touch on the Pixel Six, honestly. Apple TV Plus had a couple thoughts on that. One, I started watching Schmigadoon. Have you checked out Schmigadoon yet, William? (laughs) No, I
1: haven't. I love the title.
0: (laughs) The title is great. I was curious because it uh, purported to be a musical. And there was actually one of the recent keynote video events. I think it was WWDC. There was actually a musical number during the intro. And I tweeted, I'd love to see a musical from Apple. And lo and behold, Schmigadoon, with an exclamation point, (laughs) is basically that. Apple made a comedy musical kind of... I don't even know what to call it. It's just a comedy with musical elements, and it's really good. And so I started watching that. I recommend it if listeners care at all about musical theater. It's pretty funny. And then an announcement came that Come From Away, which is a Broadway musical, is actually going to come to Apple TV Plus Friday, September 10th. And that'll be an Apple TV Plus, not original because it's obviously a Broadway musical, but it's going to be the filmed version of that Broadway musical, kind of like how Hamilton came to Disney Plus. So I was probably excited about this new. uh, Surgence of musical type content on Apple TV Plus. I think that's pretty cool.
1: I actually I signed up for Disney Plus specifically because of Hamilton. Right. Uh, So well, it's a great show. Good to see music expanding. Except I know where you're going with this because speaking of music, isn't there a little (laughs) bit of an issue with another Apple TV series?
0: Well, and I wanted to say this because I thought you had mentioned this specifically as one of the Apple TV Plus originals that you enjoyed, but Little Voice, which was one of the first launched shows on the Apple TV Plus platform. It was produced by J.J. Abrams and Sarah Barry-Ellis. Little Voice is actually going to be the first show cancelled on the Apple TV Plus original platform. Does this surprise you, William? I thought you enjoyed this.
1: Well, actually, in the end, I didn't oh. so much. Uh, what I noticed about it, when you know, the very first, uh, the big announcement in March... 2019. Of all the shows, I thought, that's the one I want. And mm. for some reason, even though there it was in the first batch, it, I believe it was the last of the first batch to come. It was very, very long into the run of Apple TV before it happened. And it, so I was quite excited when it finally appeared. And I don't actually think I made it all the way through the first episode. Looks great, sounded good, mm. but it just didn't hold me and i'd actually forgotten about it until the cancellation and well it's not an announcement we just believe it's not coming back and i'm just you know tried to do something and i just it didn't hold me so yeah i'm sorry to see something fail yeah but not gigantically taken aback
0: yeah and i mean honestly this happens to every network Ooh. you know even the big networks like nbc cbs networks like hbo you know things just don't work out And honestly, for the amount of original content that Apple has been producing in just its first two years of existing as a streaming platform, you know, it, I don't know why I just thought of Quibi, but it is kind of the opposite story of Quibi. I mean, Quibi was just a failure, but Apple TV Plus, I mean, it is largely successful. Ted Lasso, the morning show for all mankind was nominated for many Emmys for their programming. I think it's, I think they're making great stuff, honestly.
1: Yeah, remarkable success rate. I mean, streaming is very different to network TV. Network had the big launch in September of a year, and then there was the mid-season replacements when so many uh, September launches died and things like that. So that was quite exciting. You had two-season launches, and with streaming now, it's they all come out at any time. And I think that blurs the lines. I mean, we know quite a lot of Netflix shows that are cancelled because they've become quite high-profile ones. I think with Apple, right. we're going to find there are, there are others that just don't happen to come back. Right. Plus there are quite often deals in television where uh, it isn't one season that's been bought, it's two. Right. So even though they make an announcement that it's back by public demand for a second season, it isn't. <laughs> you know? Stargate Universe, yeah. for example, on uh, whichever cable channel that was, uh, two runs were bought and bought off the off. And so, I wouldn't be surprised if other companies had done uh, C, for example. I couldn't, I could well see them having done a a longer term deal just because of the cost and the investment right. in the show. And Little Voices is a small showing comparison,
0: right? And they did announce that Dave Bautista is actually going to be in the second season of C. Which, I don't know, it feels like Apple's just trying to get some of the biggest names in, like, you got Jason Momoa, you have Dave Bautista. It's like, they're trying to gear up, I think, the second season to be like, let's do it all in and see if this thing flies. But that's one of the shows on Apple TV Plus that I was, I watched a couple episodes and I was like, me, I didn't get into it, but...
1: I'll tell you a disappointment if I may. Um, Watch The Sound with Mark Ronson. I I was really looking forward to that. And uh, I know it's only just started and there's four or five more episodes to come, but it's a music documentary. Uh, all about sound, and it feels to me like it doesn't have a lot of confidence because there'll be an an interview with somebody really interesting and they will animate headphones around the head and lots of jiggly graphics (sighs) that are are just irritating. (laughs) And then a lot of it is conversations Mark Ronson is having with people that you know he's probably had five years ago in reality and this is all contrived. So you have to really like Mark Ronson and I was deeply Mm. into the subject. So that was a disappointment for me. But he says at one point I saw an interview where he's saying he hopes there's a second run and another one where he says there definitely won't be, they've covered everything. So that might be one that just never comes back.
0: Oh, I see. Okay. Well, listeners, tweet at William and myself. We would love to know, what are you into on Apple TV Plus? And if any of you have seen Schmigadoon, let me know, because I'm, I'm, I'm getting kind of into it. It's pretty fun. I'm a big musical person. So.
1: No, it's just even the title makes me laugh. I don't know why. I just enjoy it, hearing it.
0: So. It is. And I will say the, okay, who, the cast is Keegan-Michael Key. Obviously, he's hilarious yeah. in Schmigadoon. I mean, he's hilarious in a lot of things. But Cecily Strong, who is the lead female character she sings in the show and i immediately had to look her up and see what her background was i know she was a lot on snl and she did a lot of skits like that but i wasn't familiar with her work there but in this show when i heard her sing you know my thought is always is this actually her singing or is this overdub and i looked up and she's studied theater and she has sang in the past and that is her singing in the show so love her as the main female lead in schmigadoon oh yeah check it out it's fun This episode is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Listen, if you don't use a VPN app, it's basically like taking a phone call on a train or bus and just listening on speaker for everyone to hear everything you're saying and the other person is saying. Don't be that person. Whenever you use your iPhone, your iPad, your Mac, and you're on some kind of public Wi Fi, you gotta use a VPN and I highly recommend ExpressVPN. It's my go-to whenever I'm on some kind of public Wi-Fi network or maybe I have some things I want to do even at home and change the location of my IP address. I always go to Express VPN. So why does everyone need a VPN? Well, internet service providers like the kind that actually provide internet to your home, they know every single website you visit because all that internet traffic is going through their servers. And those internet service providers can sell that information to ad companies who will then use that data to target you. I was actually just searching for a sneaker the other day or a tennis shoe, some call it And I cannot tell you how many ads I saw for the one specific tennis shoe immediately after I clicked on the website for it. I just saw it all over to every other website I visited. And again, that is that tracking information that companies are using to target you. And using a VPN like ExpressVPN protects your web traffic and searching. ExpressVPN creates a secure and encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet so people can't spy on your online activity. I was actually just at a hotel the other day. There was a public Wi-Fi available at the hotel. And you better believe that I turned on ExpressVPN before I did any kind of searching or used any data on that public Wi-Fi. I want to make sure whatever I do on my phone, my iPad, my Mac is protected and my data is secure and that's what i love about expressvpn is it's so easy to use you open the app you click one button and you're immediately connected to expressvpn it's rated number one by cnet wired and the verge and again you can use it on all of your devices your phone your laptop even on some wireless router so you can protect the entire house so secure your online activity today by visiting expressvpn.com appleinsider that's expressvpncom com slash Apple Insider. And get this, you can get an extra three months for free when you sign up. So go to ExpressVPN.com slash Apple Insider to learn more. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for protecting all of my internet traffic and for sponsoring this episode. All right, well, I want to get your beta thoughts because I've, I've tricked you into keeping Monterey installed on your, your Mac. I will say I voiced some opinions on Safari last week. The iPad OS 15 beta 4, the current developer beta that's out as we record, actually pretty stable. Actually enjoying and using my iPad without too much issue. Shortcuts are fun on that, albeit a little buggy. But yeah, overall, pretty good. Safari, again, I've kind of talked about my thoughts last time, so unsure. But you, William, have been using macOS Monterey on your main machine by hook or by crook. And I would love to know, what's been your experience? How do you feel about it?
1: General, uh, well, relief. Uh, until recently, uh, I had I had the smallest of problems on the first day. Was a, I was terrified that it was going to be like that forever. And I fixed whatever that was instantly. And for the most part, until actually the last couple of days, I've had no problem. Well, no, uh, Final Cut Pro doesn't behave uh-huh. very well. There are some issues with that, which is a bit of a problem right. for me, because I use that a lot. Right. <laughs> Hoping that'll be fixed soon, please. Um, and I've had a lot of crashes in the last couple of days although I don't believe I've recently updated, so I don't know what's changed. But I can tell you that I I feel like this is what Big Sur should have been, really. Big Sur feels very uh, mm. gaudy, big changes, Monterey is like getting on with the job. It's somehow, it's like a snow leopard updating that it's quiet and fixes things, and yet it also adds. Right. And in fact, I love tab groups on Safari so much. Uh-oh. Also, because I wanted to test something else. Um, I've put uh, iPadOS for uh, 15 beta on my uh, new iPad, oh. which was a bit nerve-wracking, and I have a spare iPhone <laughs> that has iOS 15 on it, because I've been writing oh a lot about it. Yeah, I'm not going to put iOS 15 on my my main phone, but I'm much more into this beta season than I have been in years, and yeah. uh, all because of you and, I, and my my trust for every word you tell me. Um, a bit betrayed now, but you know, otherwise, most <laughs> so of the time. sorry,
0: so sorry. <laughs> Okay. So overall though, so if you have the beta, you're experiencing all the betas, then iPhone, iPad, and Mac. Talk to me about Safari on the Mac. You like the tab groups, but how is the overall design and the the tabs with the round rectangles and all that? How has that been? Have you gotten used to it? Like, is it functional?
1: Yes, uh, I was originally quite fine with Apple's new design of it. Everything uh, squashed up together in the bar. Then when I ended up having to do a job that had 20 or 30 tabs, I could see everybody's point. So I was quite <laughs> happy with that change back. I'm generally right, but actually now that I have tab groups, uh, I'm far more controlled. Like I have an Apple Insider group mm. and I just I switch to that in the morning. When I'm on Appetite and I do all sorts of things and I switch away to something else in the evening and it's all there. And it feels like I have much quicker access in one go to whole sets of things. So rather than constantly opening and searching and finding or having too many tabs, it all seems very neat and compact. and. Honestly, I would find it very difficult now to go to another browser. I like it that much.
0: Wow. So, I mean, previously, if you had a folder of bookmarks in Safari on the Mac, you could, I think it was option click the folder in the bookmark tab bar, and it would open all the links in that folder at once. And you can just have all those things immediately open and loaded. What is the advantage with the tab groups? Can you jump between tab groups and like you don't see the tabs that were open in another group and you just see tabs in the Apple Insider group? Is that what the advantage is?
1: Yes, it's exactly that. Instant access to all the tabs in a group. And right now, look at it. There's the Apple Insider group. It is as if nothing else is open ever anywhere. Um, and yet I click a button and, you know, my financial tabs suddenly are there and none of the app Insider ones are too. Got to say though, I didn't know that option trick. I've been using Keyboard Maestro to open up sets of things <laughs> before. Uh, but now... <laughs> Like once you set it up once, they're there and there's no waiting for them to open. They're always open and then they're always Mm. gone. So I find it actually, there's something like the um, cognitive load. Oh, I need to do financial stuff. There's everything in one go. Oh, I'm back to work now. There's everything. Uh, There's Mm. no thought involved and I'm finding it. I really like it on the Mac. I really like it on the iPad. I am less keen on the iPhone, but to be fair, the iPhone beta is on like my spare phone that I use to investigate things. I'm sure when it's all we've got, that I might come around. Yeah. But it's a bit more fiddly on the
0: phone. Yeah, and I think the phone has been the most controversial version of it. So Mm. we'll have to see what they change. And to clarify, it was option click. You can Option. option click a folder in Safari's bookmark tab bar and it will open and replace. Like it will replace whatever tabs you have open with the websites that you have bookmarked in that folder. So use it with caution. If you, you know, it'll replace all tabs you have open at the moment. And if you have like nested folders, inside folders of bookmarks, be very careful because you might inadvertently open like fifty tabs, and you're if you have an Intel Mac, just restart it. <laughs> you're not going to last. You just restart the whole computer. So, so
1: I can't believe I never knew that. At uh, slash, never now need to know it. So
0: okay. <laughs> well, try once just just so you know that I that I actually had a useful tip, and then you never have to use it
1: again. Yeah, so. I'm definitely going to do everything you say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the, I know. I know.
0: All right. Well, I want to touch on the Pixel Six. And then roll that into something that me and you had wanted to talk about a couple of weeks ago about kind of the iPhone versus Android conversation. But the Pixel 6, it was kind of released slash announced-ish, which basically this saga goes back several months where leaker John Prosser, now it's confirmed he correctly leaked the design and the names of the Pixel 6 and the Pixel 6 Pro. He had renders, we reported on it. And he was correct. His leaks were 100% on this. So Google, this past week, put the official announcement out there and you can actually go to Google's website and see the Pixel 6 and Pixel 6 Pro. You can see the designs, you can see the colors they come in, but it's not available yet. They're saying it will be available in the fall and you can play around. But the biggest announcement of the Pixel 6 is that this will be the first time that Google's own system-on-a-chip basically Google Silicon, their codenaming or naming the Tensor chip is going to be inside these Pixel phones. And so this will be the first time they're not using a Qualcomm chip and not using any other CPU. They're using their own designed chip called the Tensor. And this kind of will be, I think, the most significant part of these new phones. Like this has the potential to make the Pixel something truly powerful. If they nail this chip and make it, Anywhere near as good as Apple Silicon Chips. Again, Apple Silicon Chips have been in the iPhone since the beginning. I think this is a great step for Google. I think this will be a good competition. And I'm very curious to see what kind of performance these phones get. The design, I'm a little torn on. I don't know. What do you think about these, this Pixel design with this like ribbon camera on the back?
1: Well, it's different. High um,
0: <laughs> it. High praise. Proud. High <laughs> praise. From it's different I'll
1: tell you the thing yeah. I do like I think you're absolutely right about the the processor and I think that could be B but I just like the name tensor i mean i like the name anyway yeah, it's good name. but also i i mean it's just you can cut out this deep dive trivia if you like ensor was the name of the scientist who invented ORAC in blake 7 and ORAC was this computer that could plug into all other computers that had the same processes in it it was like uh before the internet ORAC was the internet but you, you but you're just looking at me now. Okay. I'll be quiet.
0: Now, listen, I, I need our listeners to, to they, you need to listen very closely. I don't know any of the words that William just <laughs> used in what he just said. And so if any of our listeners out there have any idea what he's talking about, please tweet at me okay. and translate. Because I really have, I've never heard of any of the words that William just used.
1: Right, we'll just that say, yeah. Hmm. Good point. Okay. Okay.
0: Yes. Very. Listen. It sounded very smart. I mean, that that was above my head. I had no idea what you're talking about. So, yeah. Kudos to you. Very good. But anyway, it looks like these phones are actually going to be pretty expensive, especially the six Pro model. But these will be going head to head with the iPhone 13. So I'm I'm curious to see what these will be when they come out. Limited specs have been released and all that. So again, more info later this year as when Google says that they'll be coming out. But I wanted to dovetail this with the conversation about iPhone versus Android. So if we have these two flagship phones, let's just assume this Tensor chip with AI and machine learning and the Pixel 6 Pixel six Pro phones are tremendous hardware, which, you know, pictures look really cool. Let's say hardware-wise, you know, you have a pretty even choice between the Pixel and the iPhone. You know, it comes down to the age-old question of iPhone versus Android. And I actually did a Twitter Spaces with, Uh, Fernando Silva talking about iPhone versus Android. And it was actually a tweet by Brian McDuff. And he was saying, you know, the only three reasons why I use my iPhone instead of an Android is iMessage, AirDrop and Apple Watch, saying those are the standout features. That's why he uses the iPhone. And so that got me thinking, you know, what is the current state of these two platforms? And what are still the advantages that I feel as an iPhone user that I think are important enough to continue using the iPhone. Aside from just aesthetically wanting and liking the iPhone OS more, liking the hardware more and all that, what is actually at the bottom of why I like this platform? Why I still think it is maybe superior. And again, this is a little bit of, not so much fan service, but obviously this is the Apple Insider Podcast. So I'm sure many listeners might just agree. If you don't, I'd love to hear from you too on Twitter if you have thoughts about this. But here was my list. I sent this in a tweet to Brian McDuff. And William, I'd love to hear your points if you agree with these or if you have additional reasons, but kind of the top eight reasons, I thought there were more than just a few, why I still prefer iOS and the Apple ecosystem to an Android phone. And again, many there's lots of feature parity. There's still things that Android does better, interactive widgets, notification systems. Many people still prefer that. If you want customization options, Android has more there. But for me, on the iPhone, My number one reason I still prefer it is the screen time and parental control features with kids. I feel like Apple still does a better job at that with more granular control and more consistency than the Google family features. I think shortcuts on iPhone and iPad just make the device extremely productive. Things that I can do on the go and do quickly with shortcuts. Again, I don't think there's an equivalent on Android. Yes, iMessage is great. I love iMessage. Fourth, I think privacy Apple Pay and security, kind of all that together in the Apple ecosystem. Again, big advantage over the Google ecosystem. iCloud and the integration with the Mac and iPad. Like, yes, Google has integrations and they have their Google services, which you can just use on the iPhone. Like I use Gmail on the iPhone. I use the Google app sometimes on the iPhone. But that iCloud integration across the devices, I do, it just feels like a more seamless experience than even using an Android phone and a Chromebook. You know, things like Handoff and other features like that. I I just feel like the integration is so tight. I do like HomeKit. The security and privacy that I know comes with HomeKit is another reason I use the Apple ecosystem. AirDrop is a great feature. And the fact that it works over iPhone, iPad, and Mac, I do think that is an important thing. Just casually, just sending devices to myself and to other people. And I do think the Apple Watch is a superior wearable. Again, sales numbers kind of speak to that as well. But I do feel like that's a reason to use the ecosystem. And that was just my, my quick top eight kind of about why I still prefer the iPhone and the Apple ecosystem. But I don't know, William, what about you? Do you feel like there's more to it or, or do those reasons kind of stand out for you too?
1: Both, actually. The one thing you said there that I don't use is I have no interest in screen time. Um, I think I may have said before that uh, my uh, 90 year old brother uh, gets these things saying, you used your iPhone this many hours and she thinks it's telling her off that she's not using it enough. So she's feeling guilty (laughs) about it. and I just think I've used it as much as I needed to use it get out of my way so I never use screen time I don't like it much
0: well and just one clarification like it's an unfortunate naming convention because screen time as far as like minutes used is not the features that I'm talking about Hmm. it's the when I have child devices set up in the family sharing the ask to buy they have to like send a notification if they want to download an app the control I have over web content and whether or not they can do in-app purchases it's that kind of controls which is all lumped into Screen time, which is unfortunate, but that 's those are the features I mean
1: the very first thing you said though was about aesthetics and design and things, and I actually i don 't want to separate that out because I think mm. uh, the phones are more than a list of uh, features. design to me is not how it looks it 's the entire thing of how it works and how it works together. And whenever I use an Android phone, I, I have I find it very frustrating that it seems kind of a little unfinished. Um, I can't remember, for mm. example, if somebody was showing off to me this great app, and uh, if you scrolled one way, it did something, and if you scrolled the other, it didn't and it felt like they just hadn't Mm. got around to that bit yet and I get that constantly plus no matter what you do on any Android phone if you don't like it the person showing you the phone says well yeah but you could buy these other three apps instead and I just then when you get one of those other apps yeah but you can adjust this setting you mentioned the customization and yes that's very powerful but only if you want customization right. if you if that's not something that interests you then something that actually works feels much more appealing to me. And when we first (laughs) talked about this, when it first came out, when Brian's tweets came through, I was thinking, he said this line about uh, using the phone as his daily driver. And I looked at it and I thought, of all the things I do on that phone, from running my business to, I've been looking at the front screen of my phone now, I have three apps on there that I write in for different things. I have two news apps. I have so much information for it. I have Duolingo. I'm sure there's Duolingo for Android, but I have all of this in one place and it works so well together i I think the parts are better and the whole yeah. is better mm. with it that's why I stick with it
0: that's good, and I do think the app ecosystem, which again is thanks to the developers but apps like bear and i a writer and these kind of apps either for note taking or writing or for any of the many things someone might do with their phone like I don't see that same high quality app on Android as often you know you can get Instagram, you can get one password and you can get an RSS reader across, but you know, you look at podcasts app, you can get Pocket Cast, which is a great app, but the ecosystem for podcast apps on iPhone, I think is much more vibrant and you can get Overcast and you can get Castro and these other apps. And I, a lot of times find that even if you get the same app on both platforms, I actually prefer how it functions on iOS over Android. And for whatever reason that is, you know, whether the developer prioritized it or just how it came out, I just, yeah, I I prefer it.
1: I actually developed an iOS app a few years ago, a poetry project thing, long and complicated story, but we had to put a bid in to get the money to fund it. And I was looking at this, how much would it cost to do iOS, how much would it cost to do Android? And as I looked at how many different Android screen sizes, different Android iOSs, different uh, specifications, I actually wrote in the bid, beyond us, we're only doing iOS.
0: (laughs) Right, yeah, exactly. And also not to mention software updates. You know, it's great to know that if you have a six or seven-year-old iPhone, you're still probably going to get the latest iOS version on the same day as everyone else. Everyone can download at the same time. You don't have to wait for your carrier and your manufacturer to push out an update just for your phone. So yeah, I don't know. Just all that together, I still prefer it. I still prefer the integration. and. Even just having iMessage on Mac, yes, there was a couple of times where I tried using a Chromebook or a Windows PC just to try, just to dip my toe and make sure I still knew what I was talking about. And man, just the simple feature of not being able to text from your Mac is crazy making. It just—it seems to waste so much time. I have to pick up my phone for this one thing of getting a text when on a Mac, I don't have to do that. And th- that kind of integration, again, is, is something you see that's kind of unique to the Apple ecosystem. You got any other thoughts on that?
1: I suppose, yeah, each to your own. Of course, of course. Yeah, of course. Um, moving is a, a big job, I think. I mean, you buy—you would be buying an expensive phone yeah. and a completely new operating system. And I—I I feel like um, you need a really good reason to move now. That
0: right?
1: If you were—you need to be very unhappy with where you are, I think, to go try the other one. Unless you're able to run both and kind of sidle over between
0: them <laughs> right that'd be difficult mm. well as i'm sure many of you listening right now are iphone and ios users i'd love to hear from you if there's android users out there and from our podcast metrics we do see that android users listen to the show too that you guys are out there i'd love to hear what are your main reasons for using android is it the customization or notifications we'd love to hear from you you can tweet at me at Stephen robles that twitter handles in the show notes as well and to kind of round out the show, I want to do some follow up from listeners that tweeted at me. Follow ups from previous episodes. One, this is Amano on Twitter, and he was saying that talking about battery life on the Mac, he actually uses an app that you can get from GitHub. It's a free download, free to use with the basic features, and it actually gives you more granular control over the battery on your Mac. He actually sets the max charge at eighty percent, and his Mac will actually stop charging when it gets to that percentage and you, that's what you can do with this app it's called al dente a l d e n t e but i'll put a link to it in show notes if you want to check out that free app that's amano recommended that thank you amano also john tweeted at us we talked about the titanium iphone 14 that was rumored that apple might use titanium as one of the building materials for the 2022 model and he correctly stated that titanium is actually half the weight of steel and if you know the current 12 Pro models of the iPhone are made of steel. And so, if we actually had a titanium iPhone in 2022, I thought it might be heavier. That's what I said on the podcast last week. It might actually be lighter than the stainless steel models we have today using that titanium material. So, that's a great point. Thank you, John. And his last question actually came from Angel Vargas on Twitter. He was asking why companies with apps on the Apple TV why they don't use the Apple TV player API for their channels or for their apps on the Apple TV. Is it because of user data, tracking and all that kind of stuff? I imagine, Angel, I don't know for sure, but I do think data is one of the things. If you build a custom player in your app or whatever, you can probably pull data, like when did someone stop watching or when did they skip or when did they exit the app? that you might not get by using Apple's built-in player, which again, if you use lots of different apps on the Apple TV or even on your device, iPhone or iPad, not having the stock player be used in an app can be frustrating because it doesn't have all the same features like AirPlay, it might not be in the same place or call the same thing. The YouTube app on the iPhone and iPad is a prime example where, They haven't enabled picture-in-picture yet, even though they said they would for premium YouTube payers. Uh, They don't use the stock player. You know, if you use Apple stock player on iPad, you can activate picture-in-picture just by swiping up on your iPad. And there's the built-in picture-in-picture player. But YouTube doesn't want to allow that. They want to use their own system. And so that's, again, some of the reasons why third-party might use their player rather than Apple's stock players. That was a great question. And again, if listeners or anyone from Apple, if you have more information on that, I'd love to hear from you. You can tweet at me as well. Don't forget, you can support the show on Patreon, patreon.com slash appleinsider, and you can support us directly in Apple Podcasts. You can even do a free trial there. We have a private Discord. We have a few of us in there, and we'd love to have more of you supporters in there. When you support the show in either place, Patreon or Apple Podcasts, you get access to that Discord channel just for podcast supporters. And we also do early access for the episodes, and they're ad-free, so you can check those out. Also, we would appreciate a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. There's actually several of you that do that every week. We greatly appreciate it. It really helps out the show. The show's been in the top 20 and 30 shows on Apple Podcasts tech charts pretty consistently for the past several months. And that's thanks to you guys for listening and rating five stars. So we really appreciate that. Don't forget to check out HomeKit Insider. Andrew O'Hara and myself host that. We talk about HomeKit and smart home devices and the Apple Insider daily podcasts where you can get the top Apple news headlines in just a few minutes every weekday. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.